Chapter 47 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 47 Magnus the Good, the Union of Norway and Denmark. Magnus Olafsson met with no resistance on his arrival in Norway. King Knut the Great died in England in 1035, and Sven and Alfiva, Elfkifu, fled to Denmark, where Sven died the year following. What plans King Knut had with regard to the succession is not known but it is probable that he desired his realm to remain united under his one legitimate son, Hardeknut, son of Emma, who had already been crowned king of Denmark. But Harald Harefoot, the son of Knut and his English mistress Alfiva, the mother of Sven, was staying in England, and when Knut died he became an active candidate for the throne. Hardeknut was, therefore, compelled to come to an understanding with King Magnus. In order to terminate the hostilities between Norway and Denmark, which had already been in progress for some time, the two kings met at Brennerne, near the mouth of the Goethe River, in 1038, and concluded a treaty of peace. Hardeknut recognized the independence of Norway, and a compact was entered into by the kings that if one of them died without an heir, the other should inherit his kingdom, and twelve leading men of each country took an oath to maintain the compact. The Treaty of Brennerne is a counterpart of the Treaty of Konghella, concluded with Sweden in 1019. The integrity and independence of Norway had now been duly recognized, and the kings of the Ingling dynasty were regarded as possessing the same full legitimacy as the royal families of Denmark and Sweden. King Olaf's great fame, both as king and saint, had made a deep impression on the whole Scandinavian north, and contributed greatly to win for Norway an unqualified recognition as a sovereign and independent state. When Magnus returned to Trondhjem, says the saga, he placed King Olaf's body in a beautiful casket ornamented with gold, silver, and precious stones. He also began the erection of a St. Olaf's church, in which the remains of the saint were to be deposited, but this structure was not completed till in the next reign. Before Magnus became king, he had to promise full amnesty to those who had taken part in the armed opposition to his father. It seems that he also agreed to abrogate the noxious laws introduced by King Sven, and to re-establish the laws of King Olaf. But youthful impetuosity soon led him to deal harshly with his father's old enemies. When Harek of Tjota was killed by a personal enemy, the offender was not punished. Tora Hund died on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and Kalv Arniston had to flee to the Orkneys to Thorfinn Jarl, who was married to Ingebjörg, the daughter of his brother Finn Arneson. There had been much secret rivalry between Kalv and Einar Tamboskjellur, both of whom had aspired to become Jarl. Einar, who had taken no part in the uprising against King Olaf, gained the friendship of Magnus, but the young king was unable to forgive Kalv, who had been the leader of the opposition to his father. Einar was styled the king's foster-father, or chief counselor, and exercised great influence. Many who had taken part in the Battle of Stiklerstad against Olaf were made to feel the king's wrath, and the laws of Sven were not repealed as quickly as had been expected. The people grew dissatisfied, and chose as their spokesman the skull Sigfant Thordson, who had been King Olaf's closest friend, and who now occupied a similar position of honor and confidence at the court of King Magnus. In a song called Bersuglisvisser, the skald reminded the young king of his promises to the people, showed him how ill it befits a king to break his word, and pointed to the growing dissatisfaction and the danger of such a situation. So deeply was Magnus impressed with the song that he immediately changed his ways. He became so just and kind that the people henceforth called him Magnus the Good. He granted amnesty to all, and promised to improve the laws by gradually revoking the more oppressive measures of King Sven's reign. The ties which united the island colonies with the mother country were weakened by the repeated overthrow of the government, 
as well as by the establishing of foreign dominion in Norway. As the Danish kings paid little attention to the Norwegian colonies, the jarls and chieftains who ruled over the island groups found opportunity to make themselves independent. In the Orkneys, Thorfinn Jarl had regained his old independence after the fall of St. Olaf, and the crafty and powerful Trondigatha had ruled the Faroe Islands according to his own pleasure since the death of Sigmund Brestesson. But when Trond died in 1035, Leif Asserson, another Faroe chieftain, went to Norway and tendered his submission to King Magnus, who placed him in charge of the colony. Thereby, Norwegian sovereignty was again established in the Faroe Islands. The king's measures with regard to the Orkneys proved less successful. It has been noted elsewhere that on the death of Sigurd Ludvison, the Orkneys were divided among his sons Sumerlide, Ruse, and Einar, but none of them lived long, and their half-brother Thorfinn Sigurdsson became Jarl, and seized all their possessions. Bruce's son, Ragnvald, who was staying at the court of Grand Duke Jaroslav in Gardarike, had accompanied Magnus to Norway. Magnus gave him the title of Jarl and granted him his father's possessions in these islands. Ragnvald was well received by Thorfinn, who at this time was engaged in wars in Scotland. He granted him two-thirds of the islands, and they became friends and allies. But while Kalvarnason, the uncle of Thorfinn's wife Ingebjörg, was staying in the Orkneys, Thorfinn and Ragnvald became enemies, and hostilities resulted in which Ragnvald lost his life. The colony did not return to its allegiance to Norway till in 1066, in the reign of Harald Hordrada. King Knut the Great is thought to have been about forty years old at the time of his death. He came to England as a conqueror, but proved to be one of the ablest and wisest of English kings. During the last five years of his reign he ruled over a great empire including England and Scotland, Denmark, Norway, the Orkney Islands, and the Viking colonies in the Hebrides and the Isle of Man. The extensive possessions under his own immediate rule he governed with a wisdom and moderation which entitles him to be numbered with the greatest monarchs. He did not confiscate the people's lands for the benefit of his own followers, or in other ways treat England as a conquered country. His soldiers received a money payment, and the people were allowed to keep their lands. He established the old English laws, known as the laws of Edward the Confessor, and ruled as a native English sovereign. He was one of the wisest and most prolific of early English lawgivers. He became an earnest Christian, and remained throughout his reign deeply attached to the intellectual life and higher culture of Western Europe. But Canute's worthless sons did not walk in their father's footsteps. In 1036, Harold Harefoot, son of Elfkifu, or Elfiva, succeeded him on the throne of England, but his reign was short and inglorious. He was ambitious and violent, and seemed more devoted to hunting than to the affairs of the state, wherefore the people, fitly enough, nicknamed him Harefoot. He died at Oxford in 1040, at the moment when his half-brother Hardicanut, son of Emma, finally arrived in England. Hardicanut was, if possible, even less qualified to occupy a throne than his worthless brother. He promised amnesty to all who had hitherto sided with Harold Harefoot, but as soon as he was crowned king he began to levy heavy taxes to pay his large army. He was harsh and narrow-minded, and lacked every kingly quality. When this unworthy son of the great King Canute suddenly died in his twenty-fifth year, in the second year of his reign, the people felt it as a riddance. He was succeeded by his half-brother, Edward the Confessor, the last surviving son of King Ethelred and Emma. According to the Treaty of Brennerne, King Magnus of Norway succeeded Hardicanute as King of Denmark. King Canute's family was now extinct in the male line, or Sven Estridsson, a son of Ulf Jarl and Canute's sister Estrid, who was the nearest heir to the throne, was unable to rally the people to his support. King Magnus Olafsson was now eighteen years old, a well-built young man with light auburn hair and noble features. He was brave, well-skilled in the use of arms, and had already gained a reputation for justice. The Danes welcomed him with unfeigned enthusiasm, mixed with a veneration accorded him as the son of the greatest saint in the north. 
With characteristic generosity, King Magnus made Sven Estridsson a jarl, with the understanding that he should defend the borders of Jutland against the Wends. He married his sister Ulfhid to Ordulf, son of the Duke of Saxony, and secured thereby the friendship and support of that powerful family. Magnus, who enjoyed great power and renown, claimed also the throne of England as the heir of King Hardicanute, according to the Treaty of Brennerne. The saga of Magnus the Good states that he sent the following message to King Edward the Confessor. You may have heard of the agreement which was made between King Hardicanute and myself, that the one who lived longest should inherit the lands and subjects of the other, if he died without a male heir. Now it has come to pass, as I know you have learned, that I have fallen heir to all the Danish possessions of King Hardicanute. But at the time of his death he held England no less than Denmark, and I, therefore, claim England according to the agreement made. I desire that you give up the kingdom to me, otherwise I will attack it with an army both from Denmark and Norway, and he will then govern it who wins the victory. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle shows that in 1046 an invasion from Norway was expected, and that the English fleet was stationed at Sandwich ready to defend the coast. But Sven's fight with him, i.e. with Magnus, hindered him from coming hither, says the Chronicle. Subsequent events in Denmark prove the correctness of these statements. Einar Tomberskjelver is said to have shaken his head when he heard that Magnus had made Sven Estridsson a jarl. Too powerful a jarl, was his comment. Sven was soon tempted to begin an uprising against King Magnus. He made an alliance with the Wends, against whom he was to protect the borders, and Magnus had to call out half the military forces of Norway to put down the rebellion. Sven was compelled to flee, but at any favorable moment he might renew the attack, and with so dangerous an enemy at his back, Magnus did not venture to undertake an invasion of England. The fortified city of Jomsburg was an inconvenient neighbor. So long as this independent Viking stronghold did not submit to King Magnus, it was a constant source of danger to his kingdom, and he resolutely marched against it and captured it after a spirited resistance. In the meanwhile, the Wends, who had not been held in check by Sven Estridsson, poured over the borders and committed fearful depredations in southern Jutland. Magnus gathered a large army at Hedeby, and his brother-in-law, Ordulf of Saxony, came to his assistance with a considerable force. On Michaelmas, September 29, 1043, he faced the Wendish host on Lierschog Heath, and defeated them in a most sanguinary battle. Under these circumstances, the intended invasion of England had to be abandoned, but Magnus had won great renown through his many victories. He had overcome all opposition, and the peace and security of the Danish kingdom was safely established. Everything now augured well for a prosperous and peaceful reign, but Magnus was still to learn that uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. A most formidable rival suddenly appeared to place new difficulties in his path. This was Harald Sigurdsson, a half-brother of St. Olaf, son of Osta and King Sigurd Seer. During the fifteen years which had passed since the Battle of Stiklestad, he had gained great renown as chief of the Varangians in the service of the Greek emperor at Byzantium. He had married Elizabeth, Elisiv, daughter of Grand Duke Yaroslav of Gardarike, and brought great treasures with him to Norway. Elizabeth seems to have died soon after their marriage, as Harald married Thora of the Arnmudling family shortly after his arrival in Norway. Harald was a talented leader of the old martial type, who never hesitated to make the sword the arbiter of every controversy. The sagas describe him as very tall and strong, resolute and energetic. He possessed in an eminent degree the spirit of enterprise and reckless daring which characterized the great Viking chieftains, and his military achievements in the Levant were soon extolled in a whole literature of fictitious tales, in which he is represented as the central figure in every historic event with which he was in any way connected. The saga narratives, based partly on these tales, and partly on skaldic songs which were often misunderstood, 
because they told of unknown and distant lands, are wholly unreliable in details. Only the more general features which are corroborated by other sources can be accepted as history. P. A. Munch has shown that the Scaldic songs agree in all main features with the Byzantine writers, and that a reliable account of Harald's early career can be extracted from these sources. The correctness of Munch's position was later proven through the discovery of a document which threw new light on the subject. In 1881, Professor Vasilevsky of Moscow published a treatise on a newly discovered Greek manuscript from the 11th century, written by a contemporary of Harald Sigurdsson. The author tells us that Araltes, Harald, was a son of the king of Varangia, and that his brother Yulavos, Olaf, had made him next to himself in rank. But Araltes, who was young and had learned to admire the power of the Romans, wished to do homage to Emperor Michael Paphlagon, also called Michael Catalactus, and came to Constantinople with 500 brave warriors. This agrees with the Heimskringla, which states that Harald had many men. The author further states that the emperor sent him to Sicily, where the Roman army was carrying on war. He must have served under the imperial general Georgios Maniacus, whom he aided in the conquest of Sicily, 1038 to 1040. He performed great feats of arms, says the author, and on his return the emperor gave him the title of Mangobitas. Then it happened that Delianos in Bulgaria rose in rebellion. Harald accompanied the emperor into that province and performed such deeds as befitted his rank and valor. On his return to Constantinople, the emperor conferred on him the title of Spatharo Candidatos. Harald's campaign in Bulgaria is not mentioned in the sagas, but it is referred to in a song by the skald Theodolf Arnoson. Harald was staying in Constantinople when the emperor died in December 1041, and also during the short reign of Michael Caliphatus, who was dethroned April 21, 1042. He did military service for a while also under the next emperor, Constantine Monomachus, but he sought permission to leave because he wished to return to his own country. This request was refused, but Harold made good his escape, 1043 or 1044. The author is also able to state that Harold became king in his own country after his brother Olaf, and that as king he maintained his old friendship with the Romans. From the Skaldic songs, which corroborate the statements of the author, and on many points supplement the account, we learn that Harold also took part in campaigns in Syria and Mesopotamia, and that he went to Jerusalem with a body of Varangians, probably to guard the architects and laborers sent by the emperor to erect a new church in that city. After Harold left Constantinople, he went to Grand Duke Yaroslav in Gardarike. He married Elisiv, the Grand Duke's daughter, as already stated, and after having spent some time at this court, he crossed the Baltic with a single ship and came to Sigtuna in Sweden. Here he met Sven Estridsson, who sought to persuade him to join in an attack on King Magnus. But Harald decided to try negotiations. He proceeded to Denmark and found Magnus stationed with his fleet in Øresund, the Sound, on the coast of Skane. Harald had a stately vessel, beautifully painted, with gilt dragon head and dragon's tail, and with a sail of costly material. The sudden appearance of such a ship caused no small surprise in the royal fleet, and King Magnus sent a vessel forward to hail the stranger. In answer to the inquiry of the king's messengers, a tall and stately man came forward and told them that he was sent by Harald Sigurdsson, King Magnus's uncle, to learn how he would receive him. The tall stranger was Harald Sigurdsson himself. When this news was brought the king, he immediately sent word that he would receive his uncle with open arms. Harald then landed and was received by King Magnus and all his leading men. In a few days, negotiations were begun. Harald asked if Magnus would recognize his right of succession to the throne and grant him one half of his kingdom to which Magnus replied that in such matters he would follow the advice of his chief counselors. Einar Tomborskjelver, 
then arose and said that if Harald received half the kingdom, it was but fair that he should divide his treasures with King Magnus. But this Harald refused to do. Einar, who was ruffled by the refusal of so generous an offer, said to him, Far away you were, Harald, while we won the kingdom back from the Knitlings, King Knut and his sons, and we have no desire to be divided between chieftains. Hitherto we have served only one at a time, and so it shall be as long as King Magnus lives. I will do all in my power to prevent you from getting any part of the kingdom. Harald now returned to Sweden, where he formed an alliance with Sven Estridsson. Denmark was attacked, and Harald harried the Danish islands in true Viking fashion, as it appears, against the will of Sven, who could only gain the people's ill will through such depredations. When Magnus came with a fleet, Harald made his way to Norway, where he hoped to be proclaimed king in Magnus's absence. He first tried to win his own home districts in Oplanena, but the people remained indifferent. In Gudbrandsdal he was more successful. His powerful relative, the youthful Thore of Steig, aided him. Harald called a thing where Thore gave him the royal title, which together with the band of followers which he had gathered, gave him new prestige. When Magnus learned of Harald's whereabouts, he quickly returned to Norway, but a clash of arms was averted by the chieftains, who did not want to see two near relatives wage war against each other. A meeting was arranged and negotiations were renewed. It seems that the chieftains were determined not to divide the kingdom, and not to tolerate two kings except as joint sovereigns. An agreement was finally reached on the basis of Einar Tambaskjelver's earlier proposition. Harald should share the throne of Norway with Magnus, and in return he should divide his treasures with him. The joint sovereignty appears to have been limited to Norway, which was now for the first time to be ruled by two kings exercising equal authority. The kings had each their own herd, but rivalry and jealousy between their followers and adherents soon bred serious trouble. Harald, who was harsh and uncompromising, was nicknamed Hardrada, Hard Ruler, and was often contrasted in a disparaging way with the kind and generous Magnus the Good. The people, especially the chieftains, sided with Magnus, and Harald grew very embittered against Einar Tambarskjelver, who became the leader of an opposition to the new king, whom he regarded as a usurper. In 1047, Magnus and Harald made an expedition to Denmark, and drove out Sven Estridsson, but Magnus died suddenly in Seeland. According to Saxo-Grammaticus, Sven Augustson and Adam von Bremen, he was thrown from his horse while pursuing Sven, and received so severe an injury that he died shortly after on board his ship, 1047. Before he died, he willed the kingdom of Denmark to Sven Estridsson, whom he had learned to respect as a courageous and able prince. Magnus was highly beloved by the Norwegian people, and his death caused general mourning. He left no son to succeed him on the throne. A fortunate circumstances, perhaps, a civil strife between royal candidates was thereby averted. Harald immediately assembled all the warriors of the fleet, and announced to them that he did not want to abide by the decision of King Magnus, as he regarded Denmark as well as Norway his rightful inheritance. But the warriors refused to follow him on a campaign in Denmark until he had properly buried King Magnus. Einar Tamberskelver told him that he would rather follow Magnus dead than any other king living. With a large part of the fleet he left King Harald and set sail for Trondheim, where Magnus was interred in the St. Clement's Church by the side of his father, St. Olaf. Harald could do nothing against Denmark for the present. He went to Viken in southern Norway and assembled the Borgarthing, where he was proclaimed king of all Norway. He was also proclaimed King Magnus's successor at the Urathing in Trøndelagen, according to old custom, and the following year he married Thora, the daughter of Thorberg Arneson of Giska, as already mentioned. End of chapter 47